Welcome to Seymour, podcast about movies and TV. I'm Juwan, and I'm stoked for today's episode because I feel like last week's episode, while I really enjoyed it, was very technical. And this week's episode, I hope we kind of ditch a lot of the technical jargon and get into the feels. I want to talk about the intro or the opening credits to Twin Peaks. If you're not familiar, Twin Peaks premiered on April 8th, 1990, and was created by David Lynch and Mark Frost. David Lynch also directed a handful of episodes, and it was canceled after just 30, but it became this cultural phenomenon, so much, in fact, that the show made a return in 2017. Now, the show stars Kyle Makalaka Makalaklan as an FBI agent who investigates the murder of local teen Laura Palmer in the very peculiar town of Twin Peaks. If you can, please check out the opening credits on on YouTube or anywhere online before you listen to the show. Don't worry, it won't spoil anything and neither will we. Let's just get right into it. All right, welcome to the show. Joao, thank you for joining us yet again for another conversation. Thanks for having me again, man. I appreciate it. I hope my voice isn't nasally this time. Yeah. I'm a little sick. Even so, still couldn't get another guest, huh? No, no. This is, we're running out of small talk. This is the best the suits could do. I feel like I need to up my price or something. (laughs) You just keep bringing me back. The show's fan base loves you. This is the highlight of my week. No, and it's the highlight of mine as well. And I wanted to talk about the opening credits to Twin Peaks because you haven't seen the show, right? I have not. I showed you the the introduction before the introduction of this show. And what were some of your initial impressions? I don't know. It's very conflicting. There seems to be a lot of dichotomy within itself in the sense that the way it looks and the way it sounds don't necessarily match up you know everything from the font to the way it's edited it seems like it's all juxtaposing each other well do you do you feel like that don donchotomy is intentional (laughs) but you're saying that you kind of need to go out of your way to achieve it it definitely feels intentional to answer your question yes it definitely feels like and again i haven't seen the show but i know of david lynch i know of his reputation i know of his films He tends to indulge in the surreal, you know, he definitely has a reputation for that. So it doesn't surprise me, it wouldn't surprise me if the way that the intro feels, looks and sounds is completely on purpose and representative of the show. I mean, the show is so melodramatic and and hokey and plays on a lot of cliches, I feel. The town itself is, I hate that, such a cliche, but much more than meets the eye. Mm. Right? Uh, Surface level. It's a very calm, homey sort of town where everyone knows each other. And that's sort of all you need to know going in. And it feels very calming and surface level of like looking in from the outside into this very homey town. But there's also an underlying theme of eeriness, Mm -hmm. I feel like, and, and kind of creepiness. Yeah. Like you're being watched. The first shot is the the shot of the bird on a branch. And it's almost like that bird is just like kind of watching you as this like beautiful music plays. I don't know. Did did yeah. you get any sense of creepiness from? For sure. Because at first it plays almost like a tourism commercial. 
you know, where yeah, that's a good point. It's like trying to show you, you know, what the town has to offer in a sense. So basically it's like all this uh, construction and welding, these beautiful shots of waterfalls and mountains, and but it all just seems very superficial. And I meant to tell you this earlier while we were watching it. I got the same vibe I got during the opening credits of The Shining. Oh, yeah. So in The Shining, the... Uh, Stanley Trump. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah, so Stanley Kubrick with um, Jack Nicholson. There you go. See, yeah. I'm just testing you, dude. I got to make sure you've been watching a lot of movies. I'm lately. also mispronouncing every name. Yeah. <laughs> Jake Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Nicholson. Kubrick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so in The Shining, the opening scene is this this beautiful aerial shot of the car where the family is. Like, it's Jack Nicholson's family is driving. Yeah, mountainside. Yeah, and it's the same deal. It has this like. It's beautiful to look at, but there's definitely this ominous feeling of surrealness or... or uh, Something lurking. Yeah. And that's what I felt. And I don't know why I felt that, but you're right. Like, there's something eerie about it. The intention of this opening credit sequence, it has no other agenda, I feel, other than to make the viewer feel the way the show feels. Hmm. And while well, you would hope every show's like that, a lot of other shows have a lot of other agendas at play with the opening credits. Another one that comes to mind is Always Sunny that does something similar. Yeah, on the other side of the spectrum on a comedic kind yeah. of level. Yeah, like the, all, the whole opening sequence is just shots of Philly with this like really like tacky font with literally stock music. Stock music, yeah. It lays the groundwork for the tone of the show, you know. That's a great comparison. And I think that alludes to what makes this intro eerie is that the introduction to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is that the shots that they use are Philly landmarks. Right. So the link, what are the, what the famous road, uh, which is the last shot of, of that introduction. I'm blanking on the name. But the show doesn't use any landmarks or anything that, like I said, is very specific to the show, at least during the first glance. Mm-hmm. And that makes it almost creepier. Like, why are we on this shot of like muddy water for yeah. <laughs> like 20 seconds and it closes on that? Yeah. And I actually think there's a reason for it, but mm. we'll get to that in a second. The first kind of point I want to hit is we, we have to talk about the music. So because the visuals are so vague, the music stands out immediately. It's a beautiful song. But it sounds so grand and dramatic. That juxtaposition, I think, works really well. Obviously, they open with like the best. It's that bass slap that like, I don't know. What note is that? Do you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have perfect pitch. I can tell you the exact note. I think it's, I think it might be a guitar. Wait, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure it sounds like a bass. Hold on, let me check. Oh, where did that guitar come from? This is just... Someone I always keep on me. Okay, so let's see. On a guitar, it would be. Yeah, it doesn't go lower. So yeah, it's a bass, dude. Cause the that's the first note, and then that's the lowest note a guitar can do. So yeah. Yeah, there we go. Music. The music guy was wrong. <laughs> about the, about the music thing. Yeah, you're. you're why the, am I you're on the, the show? <laughs> on the show, <laughs> can't get the music stuff right. I don't know why. Yeah, we just did some on-air research. That was great. Yeah, we could get just that information. That. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and I feel like anytime you open with a single note and have it echo out and ring around like that, you kind of, anytime I hear that note now, I equate it to the show. The music was actually composed by your guy. Oh, <laughs> God, I'm going to... Uh, Angelo Badalamenti. Yes. Yeah, he's a Italian composer. I knew that he was a collaborator of David Lynch, so this is all making a lot of sense. Yeah, he's a lot of names today. A lot of interesting names. Yeah. Which is fitting for a couple of people with interesting names. That's true. You and I. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's very easy to forget that we have like generally hard names for people to pronounce. The song itself, this is going to sound like a weird question to you, but you heard it for the first time. What were some of your initial impressions of the song? Did you like the song? Yeah, I feel like the music, even just from a theory standpoint, it's all major chords. I wouldn't say it's happy, but like you said earlier, it's it's definitely very grand and, and epic in a way, in the way that, not necessarily how it sounds, but traditionally the way those chords are used. But I think what's cool is the way that they're used in this context. It's a very slow song. The instruments are very reverbed out, very washed out, and it feels somber even though it shouldn't. Yeah. And I think it works really well with the visuals because the visuals, again, they look grandiose and they look beautiful, but there's just something off. You know, there's something that kind of lurks beneath the surface. And that's how I feel about the music. I think the way that the instruments sound is doing the same job audibly as the text is doing visually. Oh, interesting. Where the way that the instruments sound are juxtaposing against the composition itself in the same way that like the text, which is this like bright green neon text over this very warm, very orange, purple hue backdrop. I feel like it has the same effect. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the music feels like a song that you would play when mourning someone. Yeah. So the show's about the murder of this teenage girl. And the music sounds like a song that's like both hopeful and mourning that you would play at someone's like memorial service. Yeah. And that's very fitting of what the plot is and Mm. how that kind of stuff makes me feel. That's what I think of. Like, that's exactly the type of song when you're like sending someone off or like saying goodbye to someone. And that takes a toll on Like the original series was around for 30 episodes. Like that introduction is such a reminder of what the Mm. pilot episode feels like. It does a really good job of reinforcing that over and over. So I want to touch on the font you kind of alluded to earlier, and it's a combination of uh, bright neon green and brown font. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's amazing. Like, I think it works so perfectly. I think it's the perfect amount of tacky. In design, green means a lot of things, so it can symbolize, like, wealth and health and prestige. Stealth. Stealth, yeah. like (laughs) Yeah, I wish that last one rhymed. Uh, but it also means serenity. Huh. We get that tonal peacefulness from this opening sequence. And then brown can also mean nature or natural or simplicity. 
So these two colors work really well together, kind of add to that earthiness. So I think that visually, these kind of tacky colors add to the sort of often campy and cheesy themes. Visually, that works, but symbolically, it works on, on a lot of those levels, too, with the meaning behind these colors. I kind of disagree. Uh-oh. Yeah, hit that. Hit the big disagree button that we have for the three times per month we disagree on something. Yeah, I kind of I kind of hated the, the font the first time I saw it, meaning oh. a couple minutes ago. I just hated the way they looked, and I think that was the point in a weird way. I just felt like they didn't fit the visuals at all, even from like a hue perspective. They just seemed so on the other side of the spectrum of feeling as because the the footage is all it has this like orange and a purple tint to it it has this like magic hour element to it where the sun is you know setting and it's everything is glowing in a, in a very warm way and then you have this like neon green and brown just just like sitting on top of the footage and for me it just was so it was so stark and so almost unsettling and i think that's part of what kind of creates the vibe for me that's what makes it so eerie to me because it's so obviously purposeful and this is where i kind of disagree or i kind of agree with you in its purple in in how purposeful it is but i think that the purpose for me was that it's supposed to juxtapose the visuals in a very stark way in a very obvious way maybe i'm used to a different visual language because again another element is the fact that this is 1990? Yeah, 89 when the pilot premiered. In almost 30 years, there's the visual language that we grow accustomed to definitely changes. And the type of font and the color combinations that we get used to will naturally change over that amount of time. And so I, I do think maybe a little bit is of the time, but I do think that there is a thematic purpose behind it. Yeah, I think it's absolutely of the time and i've yet to see anything quite like this since do you acknowledge that the font was intentionally jarring and campy right we can agree on that yeah i think that works and maybe this is when we finally get to the point of because i've shown you the intro leading up to this episode to multiple people not just you mm -hmm. and that seems to be a common consensus if you watch the show those campy elements are very very evident and maybe that'll sort of change your perspective on that because it's campy in in very different ways than just the opening title like it oozes campiness through the dialogue and the structure of the script and how the story plays out that i guess i hadn't thought twice about the font not working because it's so specific to the show and so looks like how the show operates for me at least right and that makes total sense too i mean it's all contextual for example uh just because they're on my mind and and they're about to release new music but tame impala for their last album currents i remember not really liking the album cover at first yeah it's only after you contextualize the cover with the music and you live with the music for a while that you start thinking, oh, there's no other cover I can imagine 
for this album. Yeah, and that's why you're on. I mean, as someone who hasn't seen the show, I wanted to know how your opinions differed from mine and kind of get those two different perspectives. The last part of this opening sequence that I want to talk about is the edit. So something that I noticed was that all of the shots are very, I mean, we're looking at nature, the bird on the branch, waterfalls, it's all very cozy, but everything's very surface level. So we see the Welcome to Twin Peaks population sign from afar as someone who hasn't entered in, right? Like we're looking at the town from the outside. Mm. We're also looking at the bird from up top. Like we're looking at the water, very literal surface level water. So we see the mill from outside, but then we also see the mill from inside operating, like the machines operating, cutting the a, a motor. I actually don't know what they're... I have no idea what was going on there, dude. And <laughs> it, all, it all really reminds me of like clockwork, things working as they should. Hmm. And then we get the best shot, which is, which is before the surface level water shot, which is this like steep waterfall going into this like huge cave looking thing. And symbolically, I think up to that point, everything's mostly kind of like we're looking at something, but that Mm. shot is kind of like there's more than meets the eye. Like it opens up and there's like a deeper, like the water's leading into something. Yeah. So I think even in its imagery, it's giving us hints and clues about uh, like very subtly, and I may be reading too into it, but everything was very specifically bird's eye view, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's all from a very controlled perspective. I'm curious as to what your thoughts on not only what we're seeing, but the way that it's stitched together. They dissolve into each other. Yeah. Right? It feels very... And I guess that's what made it feel like this tourist video where it's almost like a music video or something. You know, Sort of, yeah. How does that play out in the context of the show? It's mostly just the intro. I guess the surreal... Because even in this intro... Did you get some kind of surreal? For sure. You get this weird sense of a lack of time and space. You're just kind of floating around, you know? It doesn't seem linear time-wise. It seems like you're popping into these different... Moments moments. in time. Yeah. Yeah. Without any sense, any real sense of, or reference of time. Does the show deal with time in a linear way? Does the show... Yeah, there's certainly... I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's certainly, you know, things just aren't as they seem. Hmm. And I think that's the most I want to give without... But but that editing... Like, the feeling that you get from that is certainly accurate. And it's certainly something that eventually manifests itself on the show. Huh. And I think one more thing I'll say on the editing is... We keep saying we're getting this bird's eye view. I think that what you mentioned earlier about the clockwork element to it. Yeah. It's really interesting because when you see the scenes of the machinery kind of at work, you don't see anyone. No, it's just working on its own. Yeah, there are no people in the shots. Yeah. And you just get a sense that these machines just run on their own. And you're just peeking into a very small moment in what is maybe like who knows how long these machines have been going at it and it's just this weird sense of you know things are kind of operating on their own and you're only just getting to see you're just peeking in for a second the first time i had seen the opening credits i saw it when i was watching the pilot if i'd seen it by itself i'd probably ask like where are the people because it says that the population size is pretty substantial but you don't see anyone 
Yeah, you see roads, but you don't see any cars. You see people operating. You see machinery, but nobody operating the machinery. Yeah, it's all very, it's like a ghost town almost. Yeah. I think what that tells me is that Twin Peaks itself is the main character of the show. Yeah. And is as much a character as every name that is being listed off in neon green. Yeah. Whose faces we don't see in the opening credits. We just see Twin Peaks. Yeah. I think it's a stellar opening and it's certainly my favorite opening credits to date because it reeks of like no compromise. Yeah. Like this was such a stylish thing that I can imagine just getting so much pushback. But I wonder if producers were hesitant to not show any of their casts or really anything at all. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's also pretty popular for opening credits is to show scenes from the show or for dramatic thrillers or something like that to show stills or shots of the pilot episode or like the inciting incident to show the viewer every time that they check in to kind of catch them up and be like, oh, this is Laura Palmer was murdered. So we're trying to find out who did it. And that's the intro to, you know, you see that with every episode. So this is so not like inclusive this is a very like exclusive intro and like if you know you know and it's kind of just like which is cool yeah it's cool it's very hip all right yeah let's do some some rapid fire cues okay i only have two all right they're fun they don't put you uh dude i've come to fear these (laughs) honestly yeah no these are two uh hopefully easy ones they should be they're they're less about like putting you on the spot and which most are. Yeah, I don't know why I, I'm I don't trying really to like believe you continually you call you out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the first question is just, what are some of your favorite opening credits? Let's see. I love the Always Sunny opening credit. Yeah. The Arrested Development opening credits. I think the music and the, the narration. You want to talk about an opening credit that sets you up for the show? Yeah. Arrested Development is basically... An episode in a bottle is the opening credit. You get the narration, you get the music, you get the editing style, you get the wit. All the characters. You get all the characters. It's just, yeah, it's really well done. It's directed like, it could be like a scene in an episode almost. Right. And even the writing of the narration is exactly like the writing in the show. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, So yeah, I'm going to go with those. Just throwing another one out there. I know it's not necessarily original, but The Office. Yeah. It's one of those where if you hear the music... But it's more the music than anything, because they would often use different clips of the characters. It wasn't a very cohesive intro. Like, can you tell me of any shots? Like, The Office used to just... They just swap scenes for each of the characters that they're introducing. Right. But the opening credits, what's iconic is, like, the Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, like, Welcome to Scranton... Yeah, or whatever, and like the the panning shots. John Krasinski actually shot those because after he got the role, he went to Scranton, Pennsylvania, to like go there and do some research, and he just shot some of that, and they used huh. that B roll. Wow, that's and, crazy! I had no idea. Yeah, that I found him. that out the other day, and that is what is iconic of that intro. The rest of yeah. it, are, they're just like filler shots of like the episodes, and then the end with like the Office, whatever. Like the UK version had that. Yeah. What's specific to that is like just some throwaway, like unintentional 
B-roll that Mike John Krasinski shot. I don't even think the intention was to include it. He just went with a couple of friends and then just took a camera and like... That's great. Yeah. That's kind of like... Yeah, it works amazing. That's kind of like the Always Sunny is just... They they had a camcorder, the guys who created the show. Yeah. uh, Rob McLenny, Glenn Howerton, and Charlie Day. They just drove around Philly and got B-roll with a handy cam. And also, fun fact, trivia, when they went to HD... You probably know this. They reshot it. Yeah, they tried to reshoot it exactly scene by scene. They got pretty close. They got really... I didn't notice the difference Yeah, until I read about this. But yeah, they had... Because they originally shot it with the Handycam. What was it? Like 720p? It was just yeah. like not even in HD. And then when the show started airing in HD, they had to reshoot the intro. Yeah. Shot for shot. Which is dope. And now, I mean, how do you feel about the new wave of... Now a lot of shows are doing the just kind of the word mark girls is was actually pretty cool it was just like girls on a different colored background yeah it, it like worked the, the well. title and like atlanta's doing kind of a similar thing where like you have to especially in season two they got into the like you have to look for it because yeah. you might miss it so they'll just like put atlanta somewhere in the frame yeah and then and that, uh, the good place the good place is like the single title card yeah but logistically that makes sense if we just have a word mark with a theme song we're going to save so much time. Yeah. I mean, I I don't mind it, dude. I think as long as you can convey the feeling of the show, if you can do it in a title card, awesome. If it yeah. takes you 30 seconds to do it, but it's done well, then that's cool too. You know, I think it, I think it adds to the experience. It's just, it's packaging. Right. You know, it's just visual packaging. And the second question is, did this conversation help convince you watch Twin Peaks like after watching just the introduction are you any more inclined to watch the show or yes all right yeah <laughs> I appreciate the softball bro well you're watching you're watching some oh man yeah I'm, some nerd shit right now dude, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching Game of Thrones because I'm trying to catch up before the new season that airs this April just because I know it's going to be a, this overwhelming cultural event yeah that I just want to, I want to be on the right side of history on this. You know what I mean? I want to be able totally. to be in the conversation in some way, or at least, I don't know, understand the memes. I want to end every episode with a trivia in the segments called Today's Trivia so that the viewer, or in this case, listener, can leave with some extra knowledge. Something fun. Today's trivia for Twin Peaks is that the, wait, trivia is not, this segment's kind of broken. I mean, fun fact, right? Yeah. Because trivia is... <laughs> but trivia rhymes with thing. today's. Yeah, it's the same thing. You think it, it, it still works. works? Yeah, it works. Go for it. Okay, so today's not-so-trivia is that the population of Twin Peaks, as written on the sign in the opening credits, was supposed to be 5,120. ABC executives allegedly worried that the TV show in its rural setting didn't attract viewers, so they added another digit at the end of the population, to swell it to 51,201. That's the most hilarious thing. That's so good, dude. Like, They added what, a one? Yeah, well, I mean, they bumped it to 51,000 from 5,000 Yeah. to get more viewership because the idea of a show set in a rural setting wouldn't attract viewers. 
who, according to who, the idea that, say, one episode, like the pilot episode had 5,120 and somebody was like, oh, no. Yeah. And then episode two, they like bumped it to 51,000. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, wait like, a this is a populated, <laughs> yeah. I can get behind this. Like, that is hilarious to me. Yeah. But that's also just like an insight into all of like the little micro decisions and how much thought goes into every inch of that TV screen. Yeah. Right? So I thought that was really fun. It's a fun fact, man. I appreciate the fun facts slash today's trivia. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me once again, dude. I appreciate it. Yet again. Do you want to plug your stuff? Oh, yeah. You can find me anywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music. I go by Soft Glass with one S. S-O-F-T-G-L-A-S. Thanks, man. Thank you, bro. That was this week's show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can hear new episodes of Seymour every week on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember, Seymour is just one of many shows that Cesspool has to offer. For more info, visit cesspoolnetwork.com to see our full weekly lineup or follow at Cesspool Network on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Juwan underscore chirps, on Instagram at Juwan underscore snaps, or follow what I watch on Letterboxd at Juwan Gonzalez. See you next week.